Thank you so much for coming on today, Ed. It's been great to come along to the IDX events recently. And thank you so much for um, reaching out and wanting to come on and chat about design. No worries. Thanks. Thanks for the invite, Roman. I'm really happy to be here. I've seen the uh, your guest list. You know, it's it's amongst uh, some really really uh, prestigious industrial designers. So I'm happy yeah, to be here. Yeah, it's been great. The design community has been very receptive and always happy to come on and chat, which is which is one of the great things about our community. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know about you, but you put, you probably met way more industrial designers now than me to some instance. But I, I fundamentally think industrial designers are really quite quite yeah. nice and genuine and open you know and yeah. friendly and uh, and curious people so yeah i think this is a, a great thing that you're doing with the podcast yeah. so yeah yeah well anyone who doesn't know ed ed's a practicing lecturer um in sydney at un unsw no yeah unsw so i do tutoring there um uh and also do some guest lecturing at some other institutions but yeah so i do a whole host of all sorts of stuff yeah, but yeah. But yeah, recently you expanded your practice out to community efforts and decided to start IDX. Would you like to speak some more about that and right. discuss maybe how it came into yeah. fruition? Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, uh, 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 I guess that's that's where we sort of initially mm. met. The first one where you came along to the um, UNSW mm. one where we hosted a World Industrial Design Day. So yeah, just a step back, I guess. It's always one thing to talk about you know, what we're doing and, and who we are. And a full, full, full shout out to my two collaborators and co-founders, Esther uh, Razai and um, uh, Esther and mm -hmm. Neela, sorry. Always get them uh, uh, always mixed up. But yeah, so I've got two co-founders. So um, yeah, IDX, if we talk about the community, it, it's always just interesting to step back why, you know. It, I don't know about your experience, but in Australia, specifically in Sydney, there seems to be a big lack mm -hmm. and a big sort of gap around the community, specifically to industrial design. So it was really just from a, a want to connect with other industrial designers when I um, uh, 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 left a full-time consultancy mm. role. So I was practicing and then sort of came out into the wild again. And it's almost like, well, you know, where is everyone and what is everyone doing? And, and, and sort of it was just from a hopeful connection. Mm. And through the course of, you know, being lucky enough to reach out and speak to some really great designers and knowing some really great designers, it's just this curiosity that, go, oh, man, like you would really like to speak to this person because you're doing some really similar things. And I think what you're doing is really interesting from this production or manufacturing your process. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was just really just just a, a, a real, you know, want to say, oh, hey, what are you doing? That sounds great. Oh, you should speak to this other person that I sort of just sort of came across. I think you two will mm -hmm. get along. So from the back of that, it was just really just like saying, hey, how's about we all meet up and grab beer? Uh, and, and I think... Uh, uh, slowly slowly from that impetus yeah it's just sort of slowly grown and there's been a massive appetite mm. for it which is not surprising in a way but then also really comforting to mm. see that um like this podcast you know like if you if you sort of create the space and people start coming and they start giving you their input and mm. their feedback and their engagement so uh, it's just been fantastic and it's been growing strength from strength so yeah so yeah but thanks to you you know you came down from newcastle of all places <laughs> <laughs> so this is a massive props to you but yeah so yeah idx it's, it's been slowly slowly growing so we have bigger plans and ambitions for next year but yeah more more um uh, hopefully we can do mm. it in the future yeah. yeah i was so surprised at the last event like as i said I, as you said i went to the first one the first one was probably what like 50 yeah. people at the most it was probably oh, yeah and I, I remember when i was like oh this is cool like nice little tight-knit community and then i come to the second one thinking it's gonna be the same thing and it's like 350 people maybe more right yeah exactly exactly and i guess it's probably worth giving you know the listeners mm. some context of um that specific event mm. so you know with, with my co-founders collaborators we partnered up with the powerhouse museum for those who don't know that is a 
sort of like a design and technology and art space, you know, uh, uh, um, institution um, based in Sydney. They're, they're you know, really uh, renowned sort of and long established institution. Um, I remember going there when I was in primary school, you know, they used to take all the kids there and they, they have all the exhibits and all the steam trains and all the, um, uh, the space paraphernalia. So it's a really fantastic place. But also um, uh, uh, from my private practice, you know, we, we've engaged with them on different levels and at different uh, consultancies I've been with, we've always engaged with them and they've put great exhibitions on. So from there, you know, it was a good sort of source to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, we've got this little community group. Um, we're industrial designers and, you know, uh, just wondering if there's anything you can sort of help collaborate with. And, and, and full credit to a senior curator, Keaton Butler, she sort of put us forward for a um, event. Mm. And, you know, the success of the, the event was also founded on the fact that they provided mm. budget and really great staff to help us sort of bring the um, event to life. Um, but the, the crux of the event was also reaching out to the industrial design community within Sydney and a little bit broader in Canberra too. Um, and sort of inviting uh, design studios, um, practitioners, but in-house teams um, to get their team to actually pick something from their uh, powerhouse's vast collection of mm. objects, you know, which is amazing to see. If you ever get the chance to go down to their belly of their collection, it's just fascinating. All the artifacts and objects, which to an industrial designer, it's like catnip. You know, you're walking around and you want to touch everything, but you can't touch everything. You can't see how it's made or you know, get your fingers on it. So, but yeah, it just sort of invited teams and um, uh, uh, other industrial designers, curious people to pick an object and sort of just then talk about it on the night. So from that simple premise, you know, we built it out and then it became a bigger and bigger thing. And then we had um, industrial design drone workshops and music and all this. So yeah, all in all, just a fantastic yeah. sort of um, uh, an event. It was just a wonderful event. and and. And yeah, the feedback from that was just um, uh, mm. tremendous. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it interesting what you were saying. How there isn't really as much of a community around industrial design in Sydney as you as you hoped for. Mm. I mean, I'm from Brisbane. I moved there recently, and in Brisbane there is very mm. small industrial design community. Only I think only really um, yeah. uh, what's it called uh, the what are they called the IDA? Not IDA. IDA? Yeah, mm. is it IDA? The um, Australian, anyway, the one of the big design corporations. They do sometimes little mm. drinks events, but it's still pretty rare, like once once or twice nice. a year. Um, and I remember when I was like, oh, yeah. when I come to Newcastle, I'm going to head to Sydney every time I see a design event, thinking there's going to be heaps of events nice. all the time. Um, but yeah, like realistically, yeah. you kind of you know kicked them off again. There wasn't really t too many at that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and once again, you know, like by no means am I anything specific or well-known and actually you know to to your listeners or anyone consuming this if you sort of look for me online i'm kind of just like you know very much a nobody in this space so uh so yeah just really it's, it's been great in the sense that it came from community mm. sort of initiative and and sort of just once you know not having a a, a foundation or a, a or a what's the word i'm looking for like um a remit of any mm. description it was just purely like saying where are the other industrial designers how do we connect mm. and how do we chat you know and from that it has this sort of expanded and it's been wonderful to see it's just sort of now with this collection of these other industrial designers and with this uh, uh, community saying well we'd love to do more but then also saying well what is the uh, uh, potentiality of this what is the opportunity mm. of this and it's been great you know like from the teaching too you're, you're trying to communicate the value of industrial design to students um, yeah, we hopefully sort of now have this opportunity to not only connect industrial designers together, but then promote mm -hmm. it to the broader audience. Yeah. And, and once again, the powerhouse was a great opportunity for that too, because 
It wasn't only just for industrial designers who showed up. There was like 600 people that came through the door and I would say a good half portion of those were just mm. the general public. So hopefully from those events, there there was just, you know, an opportunity to also communicate industrial design because, you know, you started, I know now let's talk design is more broad, but initially you, know, you studied industrial yeah, design, I, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, I studied industrial design in business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's always this funny thing. I think we joked about it and I always joke to all students and joke to other designers or junior designers and go, you know, how many times have you told someone that you're an industrial designer and yeah. no one knows what it is, you know? They think you design machinery or factories or something like that. So, you know, yeah, exactly. It's the common joke in industrial design because I think we also suffer um, uh, from a branding issue, you know, because industrial design doesn't really mean anything now, doesn't it? So... Um, but yeah, from that, it just, yeah, it just, uh, uh, I think it's, it's also a great profession, mm. you know, it's a great thing to discuss and also to introduce to people. And once you do do that, you know, like the amount of times that you meet people out in the public or you go to a party and you go, Hey, you know, I'm an industrial designer. They go, what is that? And you just sort of communicate the process and the value mm. that you bring or what it is that you actually do. Everyone's little heads light up. They go ping and they go, Oh, well, you know, can you help do this? Or I've always thought about doing this and. And um, there's a thing that I've always wondered mm. why it's like that. How can you be better? I was like, perfect. You know, that's exactly what industrial mm. designers do. You know, we're fundamentally just here to mm. solve problems, and and uh, 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 hopefully that comes across in this community building, not only internally but externally. That's what we're really trying to push the agenda mm. as well, to so sort of really educate. So IDX, you know, loosely it's all about collaboration, connection, and education. So hopefully, you know, we're doing some uh, portions of those, uh, you know, some services. That's great. Lemonouche. In case you haven't heard of them, they're a design organization that helps educate designers all around the world so they can stay up to date with the latest software needs so that they can be competitive in this overly competitive design landscape. Full disclosure, I was provided this software free of charge to give my honest, unbiased review of the product. Personally, I found this course very beneficial. Before the course started, I had absolutely no knowledge of Rhino. I'd never opened the software before. I went from that to having a good grasp of the fundamental skills of Rhino and moving on to the more complex skills towards the end of my experience with Lemonouche. Currently, I've just passed the first major portion of the course and I've already a solid grasp on the software. The course walks you through the basic tools, then slowly progresses you onto the more complex tool, tool set of Rhino. My only critique would be that the tutorials are using macOS, and personally I use Windows, which initially was somewhat confusing as there are differences between the macOS version of Rhino versus the Windows version. Um, but I contacted the Lemonouche support and they were very helpful and got me back on track and I haven't had any issues since. In the Rhino course, you will start modeling a basic mocha pot, then moving on to fully modeling the Nintendo Switch. Next, modeling the Bang & Olufsen Bayo Play Speaker, a Google concept, and finally, using the new Sub-D tools to model a pair of sunglasses. This comprehensive course is a good step forward in your Rhino learning experience and has given me the tools to work on some, some key projects that I was looking to move on to once I learned Rhino. Lemanouche also offers a range of other courses for software such as Keyshot, Grasshopper, Photoshop for industrial designers, and much more. If you're interested, check out the affiliate link in the description and a small portion will go back to me um, to help fund the podcast and bring it to the next level. Thank you. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, I, um, I found the part you said before about how, you know, you're saying you're not a anyone particularly flashy industry. I, I, I say don't don't undersell yourself, but, you know, that's that's up to you. But, you know, it's interesting exactly. because, like, I mean, I started this podcast as a, as a student um, and then, a, and then mm. a graduate, like I had no credibility. Mm. I still have no credibility, but I think like the kind of point is <laughs> like in design, I feel like sometimes you can get stuck in this point of feeling like you need credibility and you need to have 
some sort of credibility. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, anyone can give back to the community. Anyone can start a podcast or start a little meetup group in their area. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly right. And I think it's also it's tricky being in these industries where, you know, on on a very cynical level, you know, you're only great as your last project and you're only great as the amount of PR mm. and exposure that you get because we are in an odd industry. It's great that we also problem solve and industrial design is this, this fantastic tool for positivity. Mm. But we also, you know, just make things and inverse to that side too. There's, you know, design as an industry is very much also tied up in around reputation, mm. promotion and exposure. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's confusing and it can get a little bit, especially for junior designers, especially for me, you know, when I was a junior designer looking in, I was like, man, where do I yeah. even begin, you know, like, do I need to be recognized or mm. famous to do this good work, you know, rather than just focusing on good work, which, you know, took me way too long mm. to do, uh, uh, in my career to focus on. So, yeah, it, it is hard trying to navigate all this stuff. But at the same time, I think, you know, more broadly, going back to that initial point that you're saying, like, you just started mm. this. I think it's more important just to acknowledge that, you know what, you don't really need the mission. You don't need to, you know, <laughs> have have a functional you know, uh, permission to do mm. anything. So, um, and I think, you know, once again, that, that's another lesson that took me way too long to, to learn. But yeah, and, and I get asked all the time from junior designers, especially where they go, you know, the question is always, how do you get a job in the industry? You know, how do you do something, you know? And my question, my answer back to them is fundamentally, is like, well, why do you need permission? Or why do you need, you know, uh, why can't you just start it yourself? Well, just start, mm. you know, just make a start. And it also feeds back to this, other aspect that I firmly believe in that, you know, if you're really passionate about design or passionate about anything in general, you should be just mm. doing it, you know? And then when the opportunity shows up, you're fit, you're mm. ready. You're ready to take on those challenges. So, yeah, a lot, lot, lot floating around. But, yeah, fundamentally, I don't think we need a lot of permission to do any of this stuff. And, and it's just great that once you do engage, then it's fantastic where people give you the energy and they sort of engage as mm. well. So, yeah, it's a sort of a, a dynamo. It's a self-fulfilling thing. That's right? great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really exciting to see what's going to happen in the future. Um, like even in Brisbane, as I said, it's like a pretty small industry. The same in Newcastle. I'm currently um, mm. looking to start up a little meetup groups in Newcastle uh, around design because there isn't really much of a design culture here anymore. There used to be, but they shut down um, design education, at, uh, industrial design education at the university here. Um, and since then, well, no, at the TAFE here because it used to be like three years, I think it was two years at TAFE, one year at university in Sydney. Um, but yeah, since then yeah. they've kind of shut it down and they haven't really been doing it again. So then obviously the culture dies with that. Mm. Um, but there's still lots mm. of designers around doing great work. You know, there's a design anthology. There's a lot of um, really high-end yeah. um, manufacturing being done here actually that uh, people aren't even aware yeah, of. I kind of want to start a bit group. of a meetup group around that because a lot of those small areas like, you know, where are you going to go to a design event in Newcastle? You have to be going to Sydney. And even then you're saying in Sydney, they're not that common. So it's like we, we need more of these events. Mm. More people should be putting these events out there and, you know, collecting community. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it, it's really interesting too. It's also to that point around the manufacturing, I, I guess that was also initially one of the um, the ambitions of, um, you know, a community group because as a as an industrial design, my, my background as an industrial design in the industrial design scene is consultancy mm. design, you know. But uh, 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 the fascinating thing is industrial designers also occupy these really esoteric spaces mm. in manufacturing as well you know and they're legitimately industrial mm. designers so industrial design once again this this it suffers from this this branding issue uh it, it's a lot of different people working a lot of different industries and and i think that's what is really fascinating fundamentally we all get the same 
training to a degree, but then we all diversely spread out. So yeah, really, it was also doing these community events. I was like, man, I would love to meet the guy who's doing the window extrusion, like you know, who's studying the Tom industrial the design. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There you go, there you go. Things like that. It's just like, going, well, I'm sure they have some really genuine mm. insights around their perspective around manufacturing and design and production that, that you know, as a consultant, as a designer, that I don't necessarily get mm. exposed to, but it's all valuable for a process and problem-solving mm. outcome. So, yeah, so hopefully, you know, and it's been great because there have been people that, that sort of um, uh, come out of the woodworks to these things and because it is the coalescence of industrial designers. And, and for example, um, uh, uh, Keaton, the curator, she was an industrial designer. She studied industrial mm. design, you know, so that's why she empathised with the cause. And I just found that fascinating, you know, where uh, um, yeah, industrial designers everywhere, <laughs> fundamentally, but, but we're so... <laughs> you know, underrepresented in, in, the, in the community conscious, mm. you know, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I, um, I'm very excited for the future. I, I don't know, I, as, a young, as a young designer, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of, you can see there's a lot of negatives in like the, in the Australian like, future, um, not even Australia, just like in general working life in the future. There's a lot of things going on in the world right now that you could be scared of. And um, in some ways, you know, I am hesitant, but at the same time, I'm very optimistic in specifically our industry. I think that, in my time, even as yeah. a designer, the very short time I've been a designer and my time at uni, so much has changed and it seems mm. like so much, so many people have woken up to the value of design and, you know, mm. it, I think in my career, so much is going to change for the better in design. Mm. Oh man, especially industrial design. And once again, it, it sounds like I'm a zealot because I am, you know, I firmly believe in industrial design and I think we are so uniquely positioned and, and the, the example that I always love talking about is, you know, when everyone's freaking out about AI mm. and the metaverse and all this sort of stuff. But I think industrial design is just primarily positioned to be this sort of conduit mm. between these two spaces. So instead of um, being uh, reactionary and balking against it, I, I'm fascinated and I highly encourage mm. all students coming through to experiment to, with these workflows because, you know, I can see a world, a dystopian world, you know, people saying you're living in the metaverse, but then we being people of the meat mm. space, I call this the meat space, you know, we're in this world, you know, so what if you have an e-commerce platform that, you know, you live a virtual life online so, for example, that you put these glasses on and your avatar is representing you, you can try on 50 pairs of sunglasses. But when what happens to that actual point when you go, actually, I would love these physical or these objects to be physical, to, to me to be where in this real space. So what is these new industries, new mm. processes, new, new, you know, new businesses that allows you to bridge those two mm. spaces of, you know, once again, talking very niche here, like the metaverse to this meat space that we're in, you know, what happens? And I think industrial mm. designers is perfect because we are right between there. We know, you know, the, 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 the ability to manipulate digital assets, but then also have fundamental knowledge of we still need to make things, we still need to know materials, we still need to know process. So therefore, industrial design is just an amazing thing where you like the blood bank mm. barrier, you know. So, yeah, I'm really optimistic for that future. And, and, and speaking to a lot of people, especially, you know, the... The, the last few years has been really tough. You know, everyone's been mm. really tough um, going through lockdowns and, 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 and uh, economic uncertainty. But from my vantage point, and maybe it's a very uh, um, somewhat of a privileged vantage point, but then, you know, having still worked in the industry, it, it's tough, but it's mm. buoyant because industrial design is, once again, going back to that point, we are so mm. diverse. We're not focused on just one thing. We're not doing... You know, we can we can focus on one thing, but you know that's the benefit of being a consultancy designer. You cross a lot of different industries, 
I remember, you know, you could be working in packaging, you can be working in tooling, manufacturing, mm. whatever. So, you know, even if you just use a stock analogy, you know, the best thing to do about stocks is to diversify your portfolio, you know, and, and being a designer, industrial designer, it's a pretty diverse design portfolio. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, to your optimism, I, I do I do recognise that and I'm, I'm quite optimistic mm. too. And, you know, we do, we do ride the same waves as everyone else, but then at the same time, we just... As an industrial designer, I think we're inherently optimistic anyway because we have to be. You know, when you're presenting a, an idea yeah. to someone, you have to be inherently optimistic and somewhat naive to say that, well, you know, if you're not, then you go, well, why are we doing yeah. any of this? So, um, yeah, I think industrial designers on some level are inherently optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting what you said about VR and the connection with AI and then like the material. We've mm. spoken about that on the podcast a while back. And like you, you talk about, mm. I, mean, I remember when I was at uni, I was thinking, oh, I would always come up with these crazy ideas and then I'd put them up on like Instagram and then engineers would comment and be like, that's not possible to be made or like the, the manufacturing flaws in it. Right. And I remember as, as like, a, no, the fun yeah, I remember yeah. as a student, I was like, I was thinking, Oh, I can't believe, you know, it's that hard to make something that's realistic to make or like, it's just a concept kind of thing. But like you think about the yeah. possibilities of the VR metaverse space, like there might never be yeah. a limit of what you can make. Like if you think, Oh, yeah, I'm making exactly. sunglasses, these might m maybe have, I, I don't know, invisible components that float in midair. Like, there's no yeah. limitations. There's yeah, no yeah. manufacturing limitations. Yeah, or even at the most basic common level, it's like, well, then you can't design these sunglasses within an undercut, yeah. you know? So, but they're basic restrictions mm. that we're limited by the process. Yeah, it's limitations even. For the last yeah. yeah, exactly. So, and I think, yeah, I think also, you know, we've all experienced that where the harsh realities of, you know, uh, engineering principles override. But I don't think, I also think, you know, there's a lot mm. to be said about entertaining this unfettered creativity, mm. you know, at the front end, because yeah, there will be times where you have to do sanity checks and go say, actually, mm. we can't do this. But I also really think that it is really valuable, for, especially for mm. junior designers, you have to exercise those muscles, you know, don't, it, it, it's always this, this thing I tell uh, uh, students when they're doing concept work, never negotiate against mm. yourself, you know, ne you've got to be filtering, you've got to have these fundamental knowledge, but there's also a time mm. and a place, and especially at the early on, you have to exercise those creative mm. muscles and just be wild mm. in a sense, you know, get it all out. Um, but then you do the, the, the sanity checks and then the engineering mm. and all this sort of stuff. But it's really hard, you know, like you should never stifle that. Mm. I don't think you should stifle that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, when we were talking about having this podcast, we discussed both of us have a passion for film photography. Um, and, you know, as nice. we talk about design limitations and, um, you know, obviously in the design community, we promote good design and what is a good design and design mm. innovation. These are like the big buzzwords of mm. modern design, I feel like. It's interesting film photography, um, as we're both designers and we strive for, mm. you know, successes and, ev and um, evolution in our work. But at the same time, we, pro we enjoy the things that maybe aren't as well designed and that maybe there's a better design these days, mm. but we enjoy the, you know, sometimes lacking design that has, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Like, I, I feel like when I think of film photography, I think of tactile, I think of emotional connection, yeah. like yeah. Um, truly being able to create the photo you want um, all in like a mechanical functionality. And it's just amazing. Yeah, what do you have to say about? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, we had this discussion and I think we geeked out bit too much but yeah I, I think we talked about it in the sense of you know uh, at, at the at the at the core of it it's like why do we still do film photography in a in an age of digitalness you know like once again you can make all these connections all you want to ai and mm. all this sort of stuff and and, and, and 
in digital realms where there's no reason to do um, uh, uh, analog now. And, and, you know, once again, I'm looking at my film cameras now. It is a pain in the ass. You know, it is so expensive, to, <laughs> you know, buying the film and then developing it and then making sure. But, yeah, I think going back to that initial point, I think there is, you know, if we're talking about a pendulum, mm. you know, for the last 30 years, you know, 40 years, everything's been pushing towards mm. digital. Even now there's like... Um, a, 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 breakthroughs in mm. analog computing which is mm. fascinating you know i think you know that's a bigger discussion but yeah going back to camera and film photography you know i think there's something said to about self-contained artifacts that produce mm. art you know what i mean by that is like these objects you know once again i'm looking at my camera yeah, they exist on their own. And that's the thing I find so fascinating about them. Yes, there's beautiful engineering and there's mechanisms and everything like that. But the thing that's really valuable to industrial design, today, if you presented, if you just use the analogy of a film camera and say that if you presented that or packaged that as a version of the concept, you'd be just laughed out because it'd be just like, well, why is it so complicated when you can just sort of do these do end runs to the same result? Mm. But I think, you know, people, as we engage in the world, there is value in using and remembering where the history mm. came from, but also the mechanisms involved and the process fundamentally. And also, I hate using the word mm. craft. It teaches you to hone a skill and hone a process. Um, and on that point, you know, and I'll go on a lot of tangents to, you know, because I have a captured classroom of students and you know, they can't run away. So I use student analogies a lot. I, on a practical level to industrial designers, I, I, um, advocate for film photography because it teaches you mm. a lot about uh, a framing, mm. lens selection, renderings, and that has a direct influence to mm. consultancy design. But then also on the fundamentals of knowing how three different things, di different parameters affect mm. an outcome. So for the people who don't know film photography, the three major things are like mm. aperture, ISO, and shutter speed. And knowing how to balance those, and the best analogy I've ever heard was like a three-legged stool, you know, each mm. one of those things, you're adjusting the legs in a stool and you're trying to maintain a balance. Uh, that is such a powerful mm. teaching tool to say that, you know, you will find these examples all throughout your career, all throughout your profession, where they may seem disparate and disconnected. But once you make that connection and understand that they all interfere and mm. influence each other, just having this mentality around, because then you can extrapolate that concept out even more saying, well, a project is influenced mm. by budget, timing, you know, and, and, and uh, what else? And, and you know, uh, uh, successful aesthetics or whatever. You know, it could be anything. So if you sort of start understanding these things, these concepts that they all influence each other, they have a balance, they have a manipulation. Yeah, so I, I think film cameras, you know, in itself is a great mm. analogy now, even though they're an analog analogy. Um, it's something that is really useful. So, but, uh, you know, long story short, I always tell students, yeah, learn photography. Mm. Because even at the basic skills level, you then know when you're doing a render that you pick a nice 100mm lens for all your nice product shots as opposed to a 28mm bug-eyed thing. That's why your renders look shit because it looks like you're an ant <laughs> you know, looking at this blown out thing and, and your film selection and your depth of fields are all crap. You know, So you know, on a basic skills level because as a consultancy designer or any designer trying to do digital presentations, yeah, you have to have these artistic sensibilities mm. And knowing where they came from, why we're doing it, and how there's a literal connection from your skills that you gain from this camera that translates to rendering. I think that's you know I love film mm. photography for that, and that's why you know I think you know that's why I initially did it, but then also just you know like the manual process of it. Mm. So 
I don't know. I feel like there's something about complexity and difficulty that makes us better at things as well. Mm. Like I remember when I used to shoot um, digital just from time to time, I always had the, you know, different modes, aperture priorities, you know, shutter speed priority, yeah. but I never really shot fully manual because I never really understood how to. And it was just like, yeah. why That's would it. I try That's when it. I could just use the automatic mode and it would do it for me? But then like moving into film photography, yeah. my camera is completely manual. Like it doesn't even have a light meter, right? And yeah. it's like the complete opposite. Exactly. But I, by putting myself in a deficit where I had to, you know, really understand how to take a perfect photo, I, I understood all the, all, yeah. the, um, all the complexities so much better and became a better photographer. So it's like, I feel like this, yeah. this can yeah. translate to anything, like even design. Like if you put yourself in a role where you're you know, really struggling and you're really, you know, at the maximum skill level, yeah. you're going to learn a lot quicker than if you're at yeah. comfortable level. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a really interesting observation too because, but then, you know, we extend that analogy and that little concept out, you know, professional mm. film toppers would just go full manual because they don't yeah. want to risk missing that decisive mm. moment, what they saw, the decisive moment, the perfect picture because if they're yeah. fucking around, you know, we have these tools, you know, we have the ability to do it, so why would mm. you limit yourself when the objective is to get the mm. best picture outcome? You know, but once again, to your point, you know, and, I, and I love how you put it, you know, sometimes it is worth just putting yourself mm. in a deficit. You know, and, and in a consultancy and a design thing, the deficit, I can make a direct comparison now, hand sketching, mm. you know, like it is such a, um, a, a, a skill that I've sort of, I keep, I, I do sketch and I, I you know, as a, as a uh, kid going to primary school, I was always that kid that could draw. But that was now uh, when I was practicing more, sort of tape it off just because once again, from a budgetary point of view, um, new technologies when rendering a key shot came on, man, they just mm. changed the paradigm of like, well, why you sketch and why you need to communicate. But then also needing to understand that, you know, sketching is not just one solid thing. It's mm. skill, you know, it's communication and you need to do these things. And I know so many junior designers who will mm. not sketch or they think they don't sketch at the mm. right level. So they sort of, they automatically say, oh, I don't do it because I'm not good at it. But then it's also like, hang on, what are you not good at? You're not good at doing these crazy hand renderings of like the 1980 stars and, you know, you're selling mm. an idea or you're not good at doing back of the envelope engineering mm. calculation drawings, you know, saying well, this valve goes here and then this little ball goes there. So it's like saying, well, you know, don't, don't show yourself short by saying that, you know, I can't do certain things or just because the standard is so mm. high. Sometimes you do, like you said, put yourself in the deficit, just wrestle with it because it is skill. Mm. It is just process and skill. And, 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 and I think they're valuable things. And, mm. and, and yeah, I think perfect examples. And another one I can think of is like doing woodworking. Mm. I, I, I'm a massive keen woodworker. And um, my teacher uh, back in the day, a bloke named uh, Stuart Faulkner, he started me off on doing hand planes, you know, and learning how to tune a plane and sharpen it and, and, you know, making sure the frog's all right and everything and get the depth of cut and all these sort of things. And you'd stand in there going, man, you know, I just want to make a chair. Why are you teaching me all this stuff? You know? But it's so valuable because then you know that if you can tune a plane, you can square off a piece of stock, you know, you know how to dress it. And then that's the fundamental building mm -hmm. blocks of everything. And once again, that idea of process. So, yeah, I think any opportunities that, um, um, that, that gains some access to that, that you can mm -hmm. own something, yeah, it feels comfortable but also you know i guess the beautiful thing about film photography if you keep talking about that is just you get a beautiful mm -hmm. outcome you know when you get all those three things right when you're full manual and you're out in the street or you're freaking you know trying to shoot your uh, uh your family and your kids and all those three things just align and 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 just boom and then you get this one mm. beautiful picture you go ah oh, man so that's that's yeah. the payoff you know and you you feel the greatest sense of just, achievement because yeah. of the struggle you went through mm. exactly 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 so it's almost like out of the 36 frames, you know, the, you know, the 35 of the crap, 
from that one is still mm. valuable, you know. And also, maybe it's way more valuable because you know what went into it. Is this idea of, um, you know, you know, there was some level of conscious, you know, thing that that, mm. that combined and, and from your practice and just sort of paid off. So yeah, I think I think yeah, and, and I think there's something to be learned to um, uh, from a design point of view. I literally had this conversation this morning with my private client where I'm designing a ferropter, like a optics mm-hmm. project. And we're trying to make it as simple as possible because it's a highly technical thing for optometry, but then we're sort of presenting it in this new um, uh, accessible format which serves um, uh, uh, developing mm. countries. So, you know, there is limitations around, well, long story short, you know, don't let perfect get in the way of good because more people in the world need access to uh, uh, optom- uh, optometry mm. rather than surgery. So that's the whole premise of the work that I did. But, yeah, we got to the point where we were sort of negotiating. It was like... Ah, we want to make it as simple as possible, but then also the better design, the better product that I was trying to promote as a concept took an element of learning and, and there were some basic calculations involved. But then with the mentality, because no, we just need to make it as simple as possible because on some level we need to treat, you know, almost t- pander to the lowest common denominator mm. person, which is not wrong when you're trying to give access to a lot of things. But I think, you know, there is room to navigate and go, well, people can learn mm. things, you know, people can navigate things, you know, and maybe the discussion needs to be once they learn, once they navigate, the payoff is so great. Mm. But I guess it also falls down to this mass consumer culture that we're trying to appease everyone, mm. you know, the most amount of people. So, yeah, so once again, they're the other thing is that industrial design is always, you know, having to wrestle with is it the best design outcome or is it just like, massive compromises to to serve as many people as possible you know so uh and and, and yeah i think in some instances that's probably easier in the mm. digital space because then you can sort of try so much different things but from a physical object point of view where you're so hyper focused on investing in one physical object yeah i can see that that's that's part of the skill as well you know part of the the, the trickiness of being an industrial mm. designer and I suppose that's kind of the dark side almost of minimalism in a way. Like minimalism is obviously this big topic, Philip Stark minimalism, like, you know, like all these famous yeah. designers in the past who've, you know, had that almost as, as like a doctrine for their um, design practice. But there is a darker side to it. Like sometimes in the minimalism, you can lose detail and you can lose functionality. And yeah. like, I feel like sometimes yeah. in the modern day, I, I see this little item that has one button and that button does everything. And you're like, yeah. if this just had one more button or two more buttons, maybe it would be a more functional product. And it's like you can you can lose no, that. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and and I'm glad you point out Philip Stark because you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all experience the the lemon juicy. You know, the, that are uh, the very iconic thing. You know, mm. beautiful object. But then that's I think that's a great sort of example, and not to throw shade mm. on a beautiful piece of iconic design. It is this you know reductionist simplicity. But then when you apply the the what I call the motion of the user, where they impart their own physicality on things you know for that juicer example if anyone's ever used it you know it, it rotates and it flicks around you know, it doesn't serve its primary function but yeah i guess that's that's probably a very you know not a fair comparison mm. because that is more of an object but yeah take that and extrapolate that out to any other right. aspect and you sort of dissect the brief for uh, designing a mechanism or designing a platform or a system you know so yeah i think it's a fine line to navigate but then also you know going back to that point around the three-legged mm. stool analogy sometimes things are out of our control as industrial designers because then it's like, well, it's too expensive, too complicated, you know? We don't have the access to the, the material, the technology, so therefore you have to sort of navigate it as best you can. But yeah, to that to that observation, I think I think we tend not to, I don't know, 
I'm guilty of it, where we also tend to underestimate the mm. end user. You know, so um, it's always tricky. It's it's always a tricky thing because then also um, when we do um, user testing, you know, even when you do a sample base, you can really only budget for however many, like maybe fifty max if you're mm. lucky. You know, if you're doing uh, 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 something, you know, a, a, a big commercial release. But then even then, it's like, well, that's only 50 people that, that signed yeah. up, you know, that, that did this. So, yeah, there has to be a level of trust and optimism. Yeah. Going back to that idea of optimism. So I'm always hoping, you know, that, that people would put in the effort to learn and to understand something. But then also, man, consumers are harsh because, you know, in this consumer world that we're in, if it doesn't work initially, then it's all written mm. off, you know, and it's just like it's crap. It's a crap yeah. design, you know, so... Yeah, so it's it's a tricky spot to be in where you're trying to serve as many people as possible, but then having so many other factors that that sort of dictate that that serving. Yeah. Mm. Uh, moving on from there, obviously we mentioned film cameras. Sure. One thing that I have noticed mm. in the modern day of um, you know vintage designs that have come back, it always seems to mm. be some sense of nostalgia that gets people. Like records yeah. is one of them. Like yeah. I I didn't, I didn't grow up with records, but when you talk to someone who did grow up with it and they've got back into vinyl after all these mm-hmm. years, they have so much, they have such mm-hmm. a nostalgic connection to it. And like, I mean, I, I have records mm-hmm. and I feel like I've built that nostalgic connection even though I didn't grow up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. obviously nostalgia mm-hmm. is very powerful in, um, and yeah. a very successful design tool in, in, in modern design. Do you see more um, products that are associated with nostalgia coming back up um, in the years to come? Yeah, that's a tricky one. I, I think nostalgia always plays a part, you know, but what is nostalgia? Nostalgia almost, you could s- sort of dissect it. It's tradition, it's familiarity, it's, you know, comfort. It's 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 a whole host mm. of different things. It's familiar, yeah. But I think, uh, you know, nostalgia, you know, we examined in that point, it's almost, I would say it's not nostalgia for a bygone era. It's a want for simplicity to a degree, you know, or, or a want from disconnectedness. Mm. That's the way I see these pushed towards, once again, going back to these these um, uh, analog experiences. It's just this idea that I, I love watches. Mm. I love mechanical watches. Not because, once again, same deal, you know, like it's so mm. complicated. They don't keep perfect timing. But you don't need an app mm. update. You don't need a battery. You don't need to be on a subscription mm. plan. You don't need to, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, worry that it's going to have digital cancer, mm. which is like, you know, in the next five years, it's like I've got film uh, digital cameras that I don't know what to do with now because, mm. you know, the sensors are so old, but also it's in this weird phase that it's not a vintage thing anymore. It's just yeah. rubbish. It's just clutter, you know. So I just, it's a want for that where things exist on their own. So that's the way I approach it. And uh, that's the way that I sort of uh, find it really interesting. So... Um, yeah, so nostalgia definitely plays on that. You know, you do want to use as many of these sort of psychological tools or these empathetic empathetic approaches when you're considering, you mm. know, presenting a concept or presenting a piece of design. And yeah, nostalgia or once again, yeah, this this, this uh, singularity of, of compactness or this self-contained nature. Mm. So yeah, it's a really interesting thing that you mm. yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, the future of design. Like when you're in university, you're taught to innovate and you're taught to create innovative solutions mm. it's kind of part of the design process we don't just create things that have i mean sometimes you're just creating another water bottle but you know in university specifically yeah, when you've got yeah. free design um yeah. you know you're not as controlled yeah. with control with constraints you know you create things that are innovative yeah. and things that are different um but like that's not necessarily yeah. always what people want like people don't always want something that's different some people want something that maybe was 
great you know 20 years ago or, or 100 years yeah, ago yeah, and it's yeah. going to be interesting to see like the future of design whether the designers will be more integrated into the design of older products and bring it into modern day yeah 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 and just sort of bed down on that i think you can sort of take it to, to its, its its core mm. logic it's like well, what people want is something that functions you know at, at, mm. it works people want something that works you know so if we look at a water bottle, for example, then yeah, it has to work in a certain way. If you design a water bottle with a very narrow mm. spout, then it's not a mm. pleasant drinking experience. So I think that's the interesting thing looking back on history because, uh, um, um, uh, you know, the diameters have the diameter for a spout that has landed for a certain reason because of the cap closures mm. and all the thread standards or whatever. But yeah, I think from that, you can learn that, well, if it doesn't perform its functional primary task, then it's not a good piece mm. of design, you know? And that's the great thing about being able to look back and go, well, we can see history here, years of bottles and years of best practices. Now, what do mm. you do on top of that, you know, to tailor towards the new um, uh, 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 methods of production, new materiality or new uh, consumer sensibilities, mm. you know? So uh, I think that's the really interesting thing about, and going back to your initial point, you know, why people want nostalgia. I think people just look back and go, well, what can we mm. reference and what can we sort of learn from? And I think that's where also good design comes into what, what can we learn from the, from mm. the past? And, and, but then how do we, uh, you know, I always say one plus one, the creativity is basically one plus one equals three, you know, it's not one plus one equals two is not the logical mm. outcome. It's like two disparate things that you combine and it's like now a new third mm. thing. So I think that's the amazing thing about industrial design and design in general and creativity and problem solving. It's just like saying, well, bottles have been done forever, so what can we learn mm. from this? Well, there's always something, you know, and, and, and I think um, uh, that's the, yeah, that's that's fundamentally, you know, the challenge, but also the exciting part when you do pull it off, you get that third thing, you know, it's amazing. So, yeah, yeah, but yeah, to that point, I think it's, it's, it's an observation that, you know, I think is really mm. interesting too, yeah. You mentioned, you know, that reliance on the past and I suppose history to one. Mm. Um, I, mm. when I, when I, when I graduated and I had all this free time, I really got stuck into design history. I don't know why I just found this, there's this YouTuber, nice. um, Jay, I think his name is Jason Bird. Have you heard of him? And he has like a, he's a lecturer. Oh no, I have actually. I've yeah. And he has like yeah. a whole series yeah. and just like industrial design history. It's amazing. If you ever have some time, you should watch so it. Cool. But you know, I found it amazing and, you know, learning the history of how these products came to fruition. What was the design challenges? What were the, you know, material and manufacturing, yeah. um, specific needs that created the reason why that product has that specific detail? Like it, it, I don't know. I, I feel there's definitely something in designers learning the historical background of the products we design. Oh yeah. And I think, yeah, once, yeah, that, that is such an interesting thing because you know, when you're trying to formulate a conceptual direction, mm. you know, what are you grasping at? Are you trying to generate new narratives to justify your direction? Or is it more potent and powerful to say that, well, I love those pieces of design. Whenever you come across anything that has a historical meaning or there's a functional meaning, uh, it's going to be a little bit weird of a tangent, but I, I saw these, uh, uh, these, these tool, basically like they're circlip tools that I came across. And it, once again, this is a terrible thing to try to describe a physical object on, on an audio platform. But um, regardless, it's it's a cylinder basically with a little tip that's been offset, but it created this beautiful shape from this tip. But then you're looking at it as a very complicated shape, but then you go, well, why is that? How is this generated? And how could I replicate this? But then when you sort of look at it and, and you know, this is a very long bow to draw from a historical context, but then at the same deal, you look at this singular example, you draw back to, well, how was it mm. made? It was because it was chucked in a four-jaw chuck and it was eccentrically uh, machined. It gave you this resultant force. 
you know, then you could say, sort of take that once again, this same thought process and go, well, um, uh, uh, this jug or this bottle shape, you know, it was because it used to be on, uh, stored on mm. ships, whatever, you know, and it had to have these sort of fasteners to stop it jutting around, but then skeuomorphically it's been carried through the history and then now we've got these sort of resultant shapes of history, you know, and, and skeuomorphism is, is like a, a, a wonderful idea. I don't know if any, if, if any of your listeners have not, mm. not heard about it, is this idea of just like, um, a perfect example is, is, is probably more relevant in graphic design these days. Like when I say phone, you know, what's the icon mm. that you sort of remember when you think about? When I say phone, what do you think about when you say phone? What's the icon of a phone? Of, of the symbol of a phone or of just any icon? Yeah, yeah. The symbol of a um, phone. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I probably think like the Apple symbol. I don't know why. Like, which is silly because that's well, no, the Apple symbol. But it's just... Well, I guess, I guess if we sort of, you know, uh, uh, to make a direct connection, it's like when your iPhone flashes up with someone's call, when you mm. hang up, what is that little symbol that, that you know, that, that dictates that you're about to answer a call? It's a little dog mm. and bone handle, you know, the old yeah. school uh, mm. thing, you know. Once again, no one ever uses mm. that now. It was very, very rare. You know, I've got kids and you show them that, they would have no context of where that came from. Mm. You know, they go, why is this funny shape? But they, that funny shape represents... Talk time, you know, pick up, speak to someone, connect with someone, you know, audio comes through this magic black thing that you can speak to someone, you know, so, um, yeah, so that, that's a, that's an idea of skeuomorphism. I'm pretty sure that's mm. what it is, but yeah, it's this, this historical thing, but then we've become so accustomed to it and we've, we've learnt it once again, we've learnt it, but now it's so hard that you can disassociate mm. it from it, you know, that it's almost impossible to come up with a new phone icon, you know, <laughs> maybe the, the, maybe a hundred years down the the uh, uh, line it'll be a, a rectangle you know with soft corners and that would be <laughs> the new symbol for a phone you know exactly exactly but then uh you know going back to that point yeah from an industrial design point of view history it's just amazing resource mm. it's an amazing resource to connect with ideas and 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 you know i'm, I'm i don't know if you've ever experienced it but you know that when you're in the depths of you know the despair of the curve of successful project but you're right at the start you're in the mm. despair area you go i've got no ideas i, I i'm a fraud <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> there's nothing coming and you're just freaking out um but that's where the opportunity there's to go well actually you know you're not the first one mm. to do this these problems aren't unique to some uh, ability if you ever get the chance to do really unique uh, uh, design challenges mm. amazing but you know to be frank you know when you're a consultant designer maybe you know 90 percent of the time you sort of refreshing things for modern mm. tastes but then also they're new to you because you've never I've never designed a, a, you know a mouse before or a speaker mm. whatever you know so you're still trying to come up with problems you're solving mm. problems so it was like where do you do it like if you're an amazing genius you can come from internally but then also us mere mortals we have to look for other points mm. of influence so I tend to really look for history and look for cultural context you know and this is also like another bigger topic because Culturally, you know, we're all still very Western-centric. You know, we're looking back to industrial revolution. You know, our name comes from the industrial revolution mm. to a degree. You know, but then what, what happens when the lens is flipped from a cultural point of view? Well, what happens when you look at, you know, 2,000 years ago in uh, the Qing dynasty? You know, what can be learned from there? And there is things that still trickle through. But, you know, once again, it, it, it's very powerful when you can identify mm. it and make those direct connections and bring it into your work and bring it into your practice. Um, but yeah, the history, it's, it's such a, an amazing source of um, 
uh, 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 inspiration. And, but going back to that IDX event at the Powerhouse, that was one of the hopes, you know, like it was great seeing some of those teams pick things so random and esoteric, but it was from the distant past and very mm. past, you know, and they sort of talked about well, what was the relevance and what still resonates. So that was, that was wonderful to hear those stories. Yeah. Yeah. One thing about the past, I don't know, I feel like when you, when you, when you pick up a, an object of the past that was successful, it wasn't even successful. Just, you know, you go to an antique shop and you see some, like even mm. I'm thinking like the old iron irons, you know, like it's a, it's a block of iron. I don't know. I just feel like this, there's more emotional connection with items of the past. I feel like sometimes with modern pro modern products, they've been simplified so much with their soft edges and all these different, um, you know, design principles mm. that it seems like the whole of, specifically the tech mm. industry has, has, um, you know, adopted. Mm. There's some loss of emotional mm. connection with modern day items. Uh, personally, I find that. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that's really interesting observation. And I think going back to that mm. technology, because a lot of the heavy lifting is not so much embodied in the mm. object anymore. It's embodied in the yep. system and the mm. software. You know, because they're almost one in the same. Specifically, we're talking mm. about tech. But to that to that example of the iron, the iron has to exist mm. on its own. It has to retain heat. It has to be mm. held. It has to do the, the ironing. You know, so uh, and, and and it's so amazing because there was a design that is an outcome that that now you can so easily understand. Mm. Oh, that's the handle. That's the pointy bit mm. that you jam into the crevice. You know, so there is something once again going back to our discussions around film camera that. I think there is a yearning mm. for that, that, that to, to understand. And it also, I think it, it's just something really amazing that it exists on its own, mm. you know, and it's independent of everything else, you know? So, yeah, I think that's actually, yeah, I, yeah it warrants a lot more thought. But, yeah, software and, and tech, I think that's um, a, a, such a, a unique position that we're mm. in, you know, where we can rely on the tech to do a lot of the heavy lifting, even if the... Uh, the hardware is falling down it can override it with good user mm. experience and a good ux design and a good uh, uh, performance and refresh rates and all this mm. sort of stuff you know so um uh, uh, yeah i think that's that's really interesting observation but yeah we um we talked about ai before i saw this thing the other day about mm. chat gpt and um this school in america they put in chat gpt tell me which books um i should blacklist on my nice. school on my like you know school's network um yeah. basically to ban from students yeah. and they just like it just spit out this list no and then way. they did it and like their explanation was like you know yeah. we have to we're too busy to be doing that kind of stuff like why wouldn't we just offsite it to a robot or you know um obviously there's like negatives of that you can you could argue that why did the ai decide that book was not allowed and like why is it controlling that yep. flow of information yep. um and what effect that's going to have yep. on the future do you worry about the effect um you know, AI moving into the design industry could have on um, people being maybe too lazy and not as committed to, um, you know, personal perseverance around something that they might just offsite those kind of skills to, to AI? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, like, I guess, yes. And the way that, you know, that from my vantage point, consuming all this stuff, that that argument or that, 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 that intellectual framework can only happen if you're already in a position where you are operating at a very mm. high level and therefore you then val devalue anyone else getting into the space because they haven't put in mm. the hard yards or they haven't got the skills or they haven't earned it to mm. some degree, you know? So there is that argument to be made because going back to everything we just talked about, the fundamental skills that you still need, yeah, mm. that is that is part of the process and it's hard and, and it and it's not doesn't seem fair when someone just sort of comes in and sort of 
if we use the camera analogy, just produces a thing without any thought or mm. any uh, 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 intent to a degree or very limited intent. And it just happens. And it's of the same quality of something that you've taken. You know, it's not the, the, the media time. Yet, it's the mm. years that you've learned to build up these critical skills. Yeah, of course mm. there is that. But inverse to that, I can see the other view where, man, uh, uh, if we use movies for an example, um, what about the 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 mum uh, 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 um, that you know? It's a, she's an inherently fundamentally an amazing storyteller, but she's never had the opportunity to present an idea to a studio mm. that gets turned into a movie that then gets put resources to do filming and photography and art and all this sort of stuff. And it, she had the ability to actually just create a story with the tools that are very accessible to mm. everyone. You know, if we just look at the outcome, you know, I would want to see that. I would want to see her point of view, which traditionally in a in a hierarchical a, a culture where you have to earn, you have to learn, you have to pay to play to a degree and you have to have these paths. With AI, now these ability and these access to these tools, because fundamentally they're still mm. tools, you know, gives people these opportunities to express mm. themselves and engage. And yeah, I, I think the optimistic side of me, I was like, I think that's really mm. exciting. So yes, you know, like the Luddites, you know, the people in these very prestigious cropping circles who are cutting the, the, the cloth and then these machines came in. They felt it very acutely because they have massive invested interest in not, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, promoting this technology or fostering mm. this technology. But then also, so many more people got access to beautiful, you know, textiles, mm. and, and 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 so much more people got into it. But that's a complicated mm. analogy that one because. But yeah, I, to that point, AI. I think it's tricky. It's tricky. But at the end of the day, it's coming. Mm. You can't stop it. So you either. You either work it into your process, understand it, um, and, and, and sort of see where the opportunities are rather than trying to circle the wagons, protect what's yours, and sort of almost trying to hold back the mm. flood, you know, <laughs> as long as possible and to keep yours as long as possible. But, yeah, it's coming and it's not changing. And once again, you know, this is my personal opinion. I always tell my students, use mm. it. I'm, I want to see it. But, but... The preface is, I want to see you working mm. out. I want to see how you came to your conclusion. I want to see the inputs and the generation of the ideas. And once again, to that idea of one plus mm. one equals three. Well, what was these two separate things? Mm. You know, if, you know. Now, what is it? It's not an influencer. It's a. It's a. a, a what is it? What are they called? Like prompters now? Like you're a, you're a prompt crap. You know, you're a. I can't remember. They're like a prompt smith or something like that. It's a weird name. But, you know, they have these abilities to navigate. It's not just, it, I've tried it, you know, for those who haven't played with it, it's really difficult to get a good outcome, you know, like especially with mid-journey, trying to uh, uh, do the prompts and there is layers of understanding and crafting. You have to use modifiers mm. and all this sort of stuff. So there is a level of mm. skill, you know, but for the students, I'm mm. all for it, you know. Yes, be very cautious because then, it's one thing when you generate something, then you are all, there's no mm. substance because you've produced the outcome and that's mm. dangerous because then when everyone is critical on that and they start examining, if you can't back mm. that up, then you're just, you're in a bad mm. spot, you know? But at the same time, for those people who um, are, 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 are very um, focused and they can use it, they can incorporate it into their um, uh, process and they can sort of rationalize it and then use it to augment what is inherently there anyway, I think it's just an amazing, powerful thing. Mm. So, yeah, it's coming. You can't change it. I'm all for it. <laughs> you know, as an industrial designer, I also think it's 
going back to that initial discussion, you know, initial uh, thing that we talked about, where I think we're in a very unique spot because we deal with physicality, mm. we deal with physical things, you know, uh, or traditional industrial design, quote unquote traditional industrial design. So yeah, I think specifically for us, I think it's going to be really mm. interesting. It also speeds up process. I can't wait to the day where my hand sketches, and it's happening now, where my hand sketches get generated into, you know, very loose concept CAD models mm. that then I can sort of really start doing my renderings and engineering measurements and all this sort mm. of stuff. So it's, it's, it's coming and I think we need to sort of adapt and evolve and, and, and industrial designers are once again, perfectly primed to, to sort of roll with mm. this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really interesting. Unfortunately, I think the necessity for um, amazing hand renderings may be lost in the coming years. Like, as you said, like already with yeah. Keyshot, you can debate that it's maybe not even as useful anymore. I still think it's an amazing craft and I wish I could draw to the level of the, you know, the Instagram, mm -hmm. um, you know, yep. hand sketches. Yep. Um, you know, I, I'm, oh, a, I'm more of a functional sketcher for, you know, for functional reasons. Oh, um, but, oh, <laughs> but, but even like with the, with the days of, um, what's the new, the new uh, AI sketching program where it will convert your sketches, what's it called? Uh, Oh man, there's so many. Anyway. I've lost track. I, I, I think I'm played around. But with I, I just yeah, think like yeah. it's going to be very soon before you can just sketch a very rough idea yeah. and you'll have a beautifully rendered um, version of it. Yeah, yeah. But once again, you know, and making these beautiful connections to our previous conversation, it's going to get to a stage where it's like mm. photography, you know, there is always inherently going to be a yep. portion of the public or the, the people who genuinely want to hone their skill and hone their craft. And the purest, exactly. But then, once again, you know, it, it's like saying, well, film photography is still mm. around. You know, people still, like you and I, we still suckers for the punishment, but it's still valuable. There is still lessons to be learned. Um, and and um, talking about hand sketching, I was in Canberra not too long ago, caught up with mm. Dan Smith, Dan, uh, Armstrong, uh, Dan yeah. Armstrong. You had him on the thing. But he graciously uh, took me to UC, University of Canberra, and their workshop manager there, by the name of Bill Shelley, Fucking incredible sketcher. Like, holy crap. I saw his old school stuff that he was drawing in the 80s and it was just phenomenal, yeah. you know. If you imagine industrial design sketching, it is mm. that and he used to do it. But you're right. There is very limited, you know, application of that now in a very competitive and hyper uh, competitive space where budget mm. dictates speed. a lot of our design process. Mm. It's speed. It's all speed. But then at the same time, you know, and, and once again, it was such a shame that I didn't get to have a bigger discussion. There is still things to be mm. learned from that skill application. You know, yes, you know, it is sort of a redundant process, but what is the through line here? You know, you're still doing the design, you're still applying mm. skill. What does it look like now? But what is the, 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 the important thing mm. to remember? The important thing, once again, from a camera point of view, is like lens choice, ISO mm. aperture, but from sketching, it's understanding. Uh, Brain to hand mm. connection, it's it's expression and communication, their commonalities and, and to you how you want to how far you want to take that. You know, if you have natural God given talents and you can just sort of expressly do it, then mm. that's great. But then I think there's at a fundamental level, yeah, don't worry, don't discard yourself saying I can't sketch. I think at the basic level as an industrial designer, we, we mm. all sketch. We have to sketch, you know, because it is just a communication tool. And and but once again, we're now in a world where Imagine we have this conversation like maybe 30 years ago. Maybe it was like, well, you have to be a really shit hot sketcher to even get your mm, foot in the door. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if you don't know how to friggin' work your your copics, then <laughs> no, thank you. Get your but now, out. because we have all these tools, <laughs> exactly, you get your airbrush out, you get your masking things. And uh, my previous life, I was a mm. draftsman, uh, uh, um, uh, mechanical draftsman. So 
and I was right on the cusp with drawing mm. boards and, 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 and ink pens and stuff like that. But then AutoCAD, that was my bread and butter for a long time. But yeah, to that point, you know, once again, to that, 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 that example of the, the mum who could tell a beautiful story, it's like I think also the change in technology and the change in industry affords a lot more access, mm. you know. And it's always the case where we're at the pinnacle of the time that we're in now. It always seems either unfair or uncertain. But then if we look historically, you know, I think we've come a long way and it just morphs. But then you'll be foolish not to retain those mm. things, you know. Yes, you don't need to operate at, this, at that crazy high level, but it's still important to bring those things through. And those little, little things stack up to a whole bunch of mm. things, you know. And hopefully we're all just better designers because we have the benefit of looking back historically. And, you know... If we ever look back on this conversation 50 years from now, people are like, man, what are they talking about? Do they still draw things mm. with their hands? But I still think fundamentally there is a need to be able to communicate from your brain to your hand or some other mm. way, you know? So, and then that's the, that's the interesting stuff. I think, I think that, uh, as industrial designers, we don't talk enough about, but these are the things that seem very vague as why are they such a better mm. designer or how can they do something like that? And, and I think a lot of these discussions, especially what you're doing, I think that's, that's the interesting thing because there's these obscure things that are useful, but then they're so relevant at mm. the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Sketching's yeah. a big one. Like when I was in university, I probably didn't put sketching on the, on in the biggest pedestal that I probably should have and graduated and yeah. then was like, you know, I need to be better at sketching basically and spent, you know, actually, yeah you know, a consistent time every day, every few days, yep. like just sketching things I saw around. And, um, you know, now yep. I'm at a pretty decent level. Like I'm not a crazy renderer, but you know, I'm right. at the level I need to be right. for my job. And you know, when I'm in a meeting with project managers, I can sit there and sketch out my ideas and be like, what do you think about this? And you know, I'm getting better at yep. it as well. Putting myself in that deficit, ha yep. being there in front of someone, like having to set, sketch something and communicate it to them. You know, you, when you put in that situation, you have to be better. Um, you, as a as a as someone in the in the um, education field, do you notice that yep. students aren't really you know thinking of sketching as as important as it needs to be, and you know maybe some other skills that you feel like they're lacking? Oh, definitely. When when I studied, you know, we had dedicated sketching mm. classes, and the and and the the people of my um, generation, the guys that I work with now, they had a dedicated class. It was mm. just for sketching, and once again, it's not it's not an indictment in an institution, but it's rarer and mm. rarer where they invest in that. Because it's like this idea of economics. If you invest all your stat points into this one mm. class, then you're disregarding a class mm. on AI, which is then potentially way more relevant and way yeah. more useful to the future generation, you know? So, yeah, yes, you know, to, to, to answer your question, yes, just because I think the bar to entry, it's not set that you need an inherent ability to sketch. Yes, it's great that you have these skills, but industrial design is so broad now, are you a good programmer? Are you a good model maker? Are you a good, you know, fabricator? Are you a good, you know, lateral thinker and a problem solver? So industrial designers, we're not one thing, but it's so funny that industrial design inherently is attached to sketching, you know? It is it is a legacy, but it is also these these icons of our industry, but also I think it, it's, it's way too... The lens is way mm. too big on sketching, you know? It's definitely more important. And, and I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent, and I'd love to get your in, uh, perspective on this. And going back to that, that little thing that we just talked about where it doesn't get talked about, um, in my teaching, the, the interesting thing that I'm starting to hone and to ask the students is like, have you ever been taught how to tell mm -hmm. a story? Or how, it, ha, what, what is your ability to 
to deliver a compelling mm. narrative, you know? And I would argue in this modern world, if you want to work in design or at a high level design, your ability to tell a compelling mm. narrative is way, way, way more important than your ability mm. to sketch a car, you know? <laughs> because, you know, it, the ability to structure a narrative means that you have a thought process and then you're not only then going to mm. present the concept, you have the, 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 the ability to, to understand that for this concept to land, you have to describe it tell it in a journey, bring the client on board, uh, sell it to the stakeholders, you know, convincing uh, 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 in a compelling way that, yes, there are a whole bunch of unknowns, but trust me because of this strong narrative that I'm going to bring mm. through. So, yeah, that's a very uh, uh, um, sort of uh, obscure thing to say. But once again, I think storytelling, a narrative telling, a narrative generation, it's, it's so critical. But... They don't really tell it. They don't really mm. teach it. And these are the things you can only learn on the job or you've been forced to or, you know, you, you work in marketing and you see way more value man narratives than actually, you know. But as an industrial designer and to all junior designers, yeah, work on your storytelling, mm. man, because that is going to be uh, um, uh, such a powerful tool. And this is the unique thing and the odd thing about industrial design. You know, it's one thing to generate something and an idea and come up with a concept and to say that this is going to be great. If you can sell the idea, we're then also beholden by the need to execute that mm. idea. You know, it's one thing to say that, oh, I've got this beautiful concept of this mechanism and this thing that does this thing and then it generates that. Yeah, it's like me saying, I would love a flying car because we have to get to X and you know, A to B and blah, 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 and there's no blah, blah, blah. But we right now in this epoch of time, we need to still be able to make it. You know, we still need to be able to engineer it and design mm. it and fabricate it and all this sort of stuff. So, yes, massive ability to storytell is 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 amazing and useful, but also you have to couple that with the ability to execute mm. that idea. And I think once you have those two things, intention, that's what really generates good design because you're confident to deliver it, but then you're also confident in your understanding to be able to execute mm. it as well. So yeah, but yeah, storytelling. Yeah, I think I think. You know, I've gone a lot of tangent. No, I think it's a very valid point. I think a lot of time mm. people can get lost in sketching and being the thing that everyone's missing or yes. design for manufacturing is a big yeah. one that people talk about that people are missing who come out of yeah. university. But yeah, like storytelling is maybe not as um, can, not as tangible maybe the value of um, storytelling, no, but no, it no, is no. actually very important. Even from a perspective of... Um, communicating design as value or even communicating your role as a designer like for example when i first yes. started my role you know i made mistakes you know it, but in, in yes. a way those mistakes they helped me learn and like when you think of it when you think of a story a story has complications a story has hurdles that the the protagonist yes. has to overcome to be able to you know ultimately save the dam damsel in distress i don't know you know what i mean but like it, that's right you need those yeah. um barriers to develop yourself and, and become better in your role and you know maybe make that successful product there has to be some you know areas that you struggled in and then that ultimately developed the final result yeah 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 and i think in in, in to that point around struggle you know in in, in struggle in, in design is a very unique thing where I don't know how to describe it it's, it's struggle it's friction mm. friction generates good ideas because you're not just in a vacuum 
dictating your own thing. A, a, a client, you know, they they paying you to do the design, but they need your mm. skills, you know. So therefore, they part things. And then you as a designer, you go, oh man, what do they think? What are they saying? You know, they don't understand. But they are the client. They're the one allowing you to do this. So there inevitably is this friction. And people see that as a negative. But then I really think, I'm a mm. firm believer that friction generates good design because to that point, it's a resultant mm. of things it's it's the one plus one mm. equals three that's a perfect example where two separate people have diametrically opposed um uh, objectives because you want to do the best design but the client wants to be the cheapest design to some degree you know and from that the middle ground lands so yeah to that to that idea that you know it has to have these unknowns and and and, and yeah uh, lost my train of thought but yeah i think it's not a negative mm. in a sense because it's it's it could be used as a positive but yeah to that um, uh, communication piece it's definitely useful you know and and, and 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 what the narrative arms you with is not just being cold and calculating and just saying you know as specific to industrial design it's like um, uh, uh, oh, if we tool it this way then you know it's going to be ex- expensive and it's going to be really mm. challenging but imagine then you can then guide the client through say look right now this is the perfect, I'm going to use the direct example for my work right now, we're balancing, you know, do I design for mass manufacturing traditional injection molding, which, you know, yes, we can and we should and, and we have ambitions to be the best, but right now, strategically, mm. it doesn't serve mm. us, you know, so we have to have the ability and, and create a narrative to go, not yet, mm. you know, but trust me, and this is a narrative I'm going to deliver to you for you to trust me that... I am going to uh, execute it in a specific mm. way, but it has an outcome and there's a reason and the, the narrative is still strong and we can still uh, serve your core intention to, to help people, but we need to pivot from this economic model of striving for this mm. level, you know, which we're not ready yep. yet. But imagine, you know, being a junior designer go, no, we do CNC. Mm. And they go, why? You know, and then if you don't have that ability to navigate that narrative or to generate that, 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 that piece of communication to instill confidence, but then also the ability to rationalize it, then you're just going, well, friction. It's just friction for the sake mm. of friction, you know? There's no useful outcome of mm. that friction. It's just anxiety-inducing. So, yeah, yeah, going back, but this is the interesting thing I find about you because you studied marketing mm. as yep. well, didn't you? Yeah, so, so and once again, and in, in, in just to finish this bit out, you know, yeah, it, it's not taught to a high level that, to my knowledge, but it is so useful. Uh, um, but other industries really put value mm. in it, like marketing. They 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 trade yeah. on it, you know. So people sell it, you know. So why don't we, yeah. as industrial designers, bring some of that on? And maybe that's the limiter. That's the thing where we're not fully drinking headedly from this deep well cup and getting drunk on it. We still have to be sober to go. Well, it's one thing to sell a vision. We still got to yeah. execute it. You know, we still got to be able to make it it's one thing to say once again that that car analogy a flying car great but how do we do it (laughs) within these points that it's going to cause a lot of friction and that's and that's a big lesson for young designers moving into the industry like that was a massive lesson for me Mm. that like a lot of the time my Mm. crazy ideas aren't possible or they're just not like going to be made because no one can be bothered kind of thing (laughs) yeah like yeah yeah and and also and also i would i would uh, uh, challenge anyone that ever says your ideas aren't mm. valid or, or uh, are possible because also well, what environment are you in and were you put in a, an environment where heap of responsibility was on you not only to come up with the idea to mm. make it valid you know 
and, and once again, maybe this is the structure of the industry. Maybe there needs to be a re-examination. Well, you have to invest in these uh, uh, juniors, but then you can't shit on mm. them for not knowing you know, years and years and years of DFM mm. experience, you know? Maybe we have to recognize where the strength is and then hone those skills and go, um, yeah, I love their thinking. I love your thought process. I love your ability to craft this AI thing, you know, but we still need to now reinvest in them to go and teach them and go, this is why it's mm. shit, you know? This is why it's not going to work. This is why within this mm. context of traditional injection molding. So I think, yeah, that needs to change. And, and to be fair too, man, like when I was in my early days of doing um, uh, consultancy work, I worked in some really mm. harsh studios, you know, like really harsh. And, and, and it was purely sink or swim. And I guess the way that I am now is it's like I've experienced bad mentors. And I was like, man, that is just not used for anyone, mm. you know, then, so yeah. So I think, I think there is a lot to be said about how people treat juniors and how do they communicate to students um, where they're just standing from a point of authority. It's one thing to, to, to say no to something, but it's like, well, what's the alternative? Mm. You know, I'm always a firm believer that you never say no to something without offering an alternative, mm. or offering a solution. And a lot of people are, are, are inflicted by that. So, yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, don't, don't, to any of those juniors listening now, you know, don't, don't get discouraged because there's value in what mm. you do, just that you're not there mm. yet. But don't take too many of those hits and don't take them on too, too hard, too much. I know, I've, I've been guilty of it, man. I've been, I'm a late in life designer, as what I say, a late in life designer, because my consultancy or my sort of hardcore design experience came fairly late. And like I said, you know, I was doing drafting and, and working in mining. I came straight out of um, uh, study and didn't get a job in any design industry, but then um, I started doing drafting and, and, and that was when mining money was huge and I've been doing that for way too long. And then I got really discouraged because I'm like, man, I'm just drawing freaking things. I'm just doing nuts and bolts and doing trusses and big, big mining machinery and got quite despondent. But then I was still practicing. Mm. I was still doing my own projects and I was still doing little um, uh, jobs for people, you know, something. But then a big opportunity comes up and uh, to all junior designers, you know, opportunities arise mm. all the time. You're just not ready for it sometimes. And luckily enough, because, you know, I genuinely believe in it, I was doing it when the opportunity presented itself. I was like, man, I'm, I'm ready. I'm match fit. I'm doing yeah. this anyway. So great. Someone's going to pay me to do it. Then it's ready. So, yeah. So just to round it all out, then you don't need permission. But then also keep doing it. You don't need to have a reason to do it apart from this intrinsic desire to do design. And I think that's the distinguisher between a good designer and a bad designer as well from a junior point of view. Uh, whenever I see a junior designer, it's like, what are you working on? What are your interests? You know, what are you tinkering with? What are you obsessed with? And, and it, it, it doesn't matter what it is because industrial design is so broad. Uh, oh, great. You love 19th century pottery. <laughs> and you'll try to replicate your own pottery. I was like, fantastic. Mm. Because you are engaged in the process. You're expressing yourself somehow. That's mm. useful. You know, now we're going to chuck you into glass-blowing injection. And they're those little skills that you can bring to the the consultancy team one day. Like, you know, like when that project comes up and they yell out to the room, who knows pottery, 19th century pottery, there's going to be that guy. And it's like, if if you're, if you're just sitting there playing video games or doing something that maybe isn't directly related to, um, that doesn't benefit industrial design at all, you know, you're really missing out in in those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just being despondent and you're just harboring negativity because then you go, well, no one's giving me a job. Yep. No one's allowing me to practice because it's like, well, 
you yeah. can practice. You know, with all the tools these days, once again, with the AI uh, and, and tools and access to everything, and and you can you can send things to get made. There's no reason mm. not to do get it, a three D printer. Know? You can so make your own really products right in front yeah. of you. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But we're still stuck in this paradigm of like saying, well, it is prestigious to work in in-house teams and consultancies. So therefore, they're the things I have to strive to. So if it doesn't mm. pay off, then why am I not? Why am I doing it? And I've been guilty of that in my early days. But once again, I'm a late in life designer. So um, uh, uh, it's been really interesting coming to that a very mature uh, state in my um, uh, practice. And then sort of going, well, man, it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a hustle. Mm. It's a bit of a game, you know, to a degree. So, and I think people fall in those traps. And but yeah, at, at, at the end of the day, designers make and think, and you know, and produce and 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 just tinker. And, mm. and I think you know, just do that. And you don't need permission to do it. And then an opportunity mm. will come, and you'll be ready for it. It yeah. is a bit of a hustle. It's yeah. interesting you say that. Like even even like oh, consultancy yeah. work. Like <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't worked in a consultancy, but you. When, when you meet a lot of these people who run consultancies, you know, they're kind of like gangsters of their era in a way. Like they're, they're pretty ferocious people. And it's, and it's probably because well, they have yeah. to be like that to survive in, you know, the quite difficult environment. Yeah, true, true, true. But also, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to meet all, mm. you know, a good sampling of people. You know, you've had Nathan on, yep. you know, uh, kind of always one of the yeah. coolest yeah. guys around, you know. So, but he's doing it very, very well. And and I used to practice at Vert at, uh, with yeah. Andrew, one of the smartest yep. guys I know, you know. So, um, uh, they're all, the, the thing is, I guess, you know, to that point, when you're working in consultancy, business takes mm. economics, yep. you know. And sometimes it's harsh, you know, having to worry about economics and, and do that stuff. And sometimes that stuff doesn't gel with just the fundamental ambition to create mm. something and to produce something wonderful. But then, yeah, it's 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 business, it's work, and and it's almost this is the cruel irony because it's is like I've got my own projects that I'm passionate mm. about, but it's very hard to do it because there's no external impetus and it's all just internal you know and and you're putting it off and and and, and you never really give it that much attention but when you're in a consultancy someone's paying you mm. you can do it you know because you're getting paid to do it um but yeah you have to be uh, it is harsh and it is ruthless and the 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 thing that always razzes the students about is is you know like every term or a new fresh set of students it's like oh you got a project coming how many projects you got coming oh you got two oh how's that making you feel you're a little bit anxious <laughs> I was like, if you ever work in the consultancy that's all the Wait time have, like, <laughs> you, you got projects once. all yeah. the time <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It's like you finish one, there's yeah. another one all the time because you've signed up to this because it is just you know it is a hustle. But I also think that's where you know industrial designers and it's really interesting observing it from my vantage point that I think industrial designers are also very intrinsically mm. motivated. You know what I mean by that? It's a, we reward ourselves by the work and the outcome, and and I can say hand on heart about good ninety eighty percent of the designers that I know they genuinely love the process mm. and love the work and that's fulfilling enough. And that goes back to our very first point where it's hard, you know, because, you know, I don't promote myself and I see that's a big thing in industrial design because we're just inherently satisfied to mm. some degree, you know, when, when something is executed and you do a good product and someone's using it, man, there's no higher mm. buzz, you know? So it's amazing that something from a sketch now evolves into a thing that people are interacting and, 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 and at the best state they love and they bond with and that's just amazing you know? it, so it, it, yeah so industrial design it's funny like yeah. what you're saying how you know you feel like you don't promote yourself maybe as much as other people mm. and it's like mm. i mean i've studied marketing so i feel like i was very much aware mm. of the benefit of marketing yourself and the importance 
Like, mm. uh, what do they say? Like in marketing, it's like um, when you go for a job, you're not you're not applying for a job. You're um, selling yourself to them, kind of thing. Like that's the attitude you need yeah. to have. Like you're yeah. not, you know, you're not you're not getting a job from them. They're getting a worker from you. <laughs> and yeah, and it's true. like yeah, these these yeah, kind of attitudes yeah. is like you don't really get taught that in design. And a lot of designers they're really really good at what they're doing. And I see this all the time. Like yep. one of my friends yep. at work, Stuart. Yep. I don't know if he wants me to talk about him on here, but yep. he's really really nice guy and really um but really yep. like really really good at what he does. But he's not social in yep. the same way. Like he's not going to be out there promoting yep. his work online. He's designing sky yep. signs yep. for like A and Z and like these massive Macquarie Bank sky yep. signs, like crazy yep. stuff. Um, yep. but you know, I yep. said to him, I'm like, you got to get an Instagram going, put this up online, but he just doesn't want to do it because yep. he doesn't have that motivation. And like, I feel like a lot of designers kind of are like that. Like, <coughs> some, some people will get all the limelight, not even because they're necessarily better because yep. they have that PR attitude. Yep. yep. Oh man. And, and, and this is the thing. And once again, and, um, uh, it's, it's once again, exactly this you know for me you know i'm of the age where it's i'm not a digital mm. native i'm right on the cusp of that so i wrestle mm. with that all the time it's like what do you share are you not sharing enough are you not communicating enough you know you can see the the, the conflict i'm constantly because i see the value in narratives mm. but then if i'm not crafting my own narrative on the mm. social media stage then you know are you not then doing what you're practicing but it's really difficult and and once again i don't have any answer to it i'm one of the probably worse people to discuss social media stuff. But at the same time, you know, having said that, uh, uh, I've gotten so much connection through Mm. Instagram, but I don't really care for it that much. Or I I don't, I don't, I don't Mm. foster it. It's not something that I I post maybe once every three, Mm. four months, if that, you know, but there is benefit to it. But I think going back to that point, maybe just, you know, I'm I'm too biased because I'm, it's, it's my own archetype. I'm, I see a lot of people, especially the designers, good mm. designers I know, they're just inherently mm. satisfied. And the, the anxiety only comes when it's like looking at outwards, mm. looking at what other people are doing. But then I also think, you know, this has been proven. It's just a fallacy, you know. It's, 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 it's almost creating your own narrative. And it's, it's, just, it, it's, it's, it's problematic, mm. you know. It's problematic. So at the end of the day, there is no right and wrong. And some people are doing mm. really well. And I think also... Some people are, are, are not doing enough, you know, um, and it is finding that balance. Mm. Once again, it's all balance. And what, what's what's the purpose of it all? So you know, so yeah, it's really difficult. But yeah, you're right on the cusp because you you was it taught to you when you went through school that this is a, a part, you know, um, that that you need to not really to be honest, no, not in design. Um, yeah. In marketing, it was mm. more like you know, build net, build your, your LinkedIn network and like. You know, that's how you're going to get your jobs oh, man, in the future. Yeah. Like, I feel like in marketing, it was very much pushed. But in industrial design, I feel like it wasn't necessarily like, we spoke about Behance and, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. But the value of it wasn't necessarily communicated as much as I feel like maybe it should have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think and I think that's just, that's just triggered something in me, you know. And, and one thing you will never hear in IDX, in the context of IDX, is the word networking mm. in IDX. You will never hear those words ever because I just, I just fundamentally... There's too much baggage really? for networking. <laughs> but then again, you know, uh, but but having said that, even though the baggage is there, there is still value in yeah. in it, you know. But then what I'm interested in is like, well, what is mm. the value? What is that 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 sketching mm. analogy? What is this common this core thing that is valuable here? And at the end of it is mm. connection. You know, we want to connect with people, we want to find community. You know, yes, you can call community building, networking or whatever, and it is, but at the same time, I think they're the interesting things where you go, well. It's a truth. How do we repurpose it? How do we make it less negative mm. or less 
uh, too much baggage? How do we uh, jettison the baggage? And you just look at the, the, the honesty at it. So they're the opportunities and they're the things that I find really interesting once you stumble across it. But to that point, specific mm. to networking, yeah, it's connection. Mm. And, 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 and I would encourage any listener who, like me, 10 years ago was very difficult and I found it very challenging. I love talking to people and, and I was inherently an introvert. But then it's like the, 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 the mental shift. It's like when I heard the word networking, I was like, man, where do I begin? Do I need to go to a conference? Do I need to freaking wear a badge? Do I need to go that? But it's, it's, it's this idea now, I think you need to mentally shift that and make it work for you by telling yourself it's not networking, it's connecting, you know? Where are these points of connection? Who are the people that you can reach out to? And I would encourage anyone now, like if they're interested in speaking to me, I'm all mm. for it, you know, like reach out to me mm. and have a chat. I love that, a chat. So, but then that's an open call. It's not saying, man, let's network. Let's, let's, uh, let's do some stuff, you know, <laughs> let's, let's get some things going because it just has a lot of these, these negative mm. vibes about it. But then, yeah, connection, it's, it is networking. But if we put it in that way where we're just trying to find community, then, then, and it just makes it a lot more accessible mm. and a lot more forgiving, where it's not so hyper. It is not tied up towards economics mm. and it's not tied up towards striving yeah. and hustling. It's just, you know, here's a, here's a cool community of people. Oh man, you have challenges too. Oh, you know, uh, oh. And, and I always find it really interesting when I speak to industrial designers at a certain level, and I tell this story all the time, um, when you get to a certain level of practice or skill ability, it's really interesting to speak to other designers because you inevitably don't talk about the the, the, the skill application. You talk about the traumas mm-hmm. of the work, the, the, the issues, yeah. <laughs> like what's a dodgy client, what's a dodgy project, <laughs> what's a dodgy mm-hmm. software, you know, it's, you know, works, you know, like wrestling with those things, you know. I find that really interesting because they're the things that bond you even harder because they're the, you know, it's, 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 it's the irony where the negative mm-hmm. aspects forge a stronger connection between the people. So when you talk about, you know, uh, uh, networking, quote unquote, I've always loved speaking to people. Yeah, I know you can do it. You know, you're practicing on your own, but what are the issues that yeah. you're having? You know, what are the troublesome That's things about being in That's my week right there. This week, yeah. I had so many issues with SolarWorks. <laughs> I had like my, my drawings, oh, every time I saved, they were crashing for days. And I was like, what is wrong with this? And I, Can we shit on SolarWorks? You don't have any affiliations <laughs> with them or anything like that? And then finally <laughs> I find out there's just some tick box that's for some reason not ticked anymore on my computer. And it was just oh, performance man. crashing my computer. Oh, it's, like, it's the, it's, it's the, uh, 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 I don't know. It's like a necessary yeah. evil. But then again, you know, it's a tool. It's a tool. It's, it's a tool that's, but once again, going back to that, that there has never been a better time. When I was going through studying SolidWorks or Inventor, they were like the one or two. Man, and then Fusion started rolling out, but now Onshape's coming on. So these engineering level stuff that is, you know, get you pretty far down the road is so accessible. Whereas back then students were locked in, you know, you're almost like, they, they, they train, it's like a drug, you know, it's free when you're a student, but then they train you and they get you hooked on it. So therefore professionally, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but there's no better time to mm. be an industrial designer or design in general, because there's so many tools. You go on YouTube, man, guys are creating amazing mm. things, you know, and they're teaching it. And, and uh, yeah, YouTube as a resource, far mm. out, you know, like it's so much knowledge that being disseminated now, it's, it's never been a better time. So yes, it, we are still in the age of AI, but then we're also in an age of, where ignorance is a choice, mm. you know, where, where if you want to learn photography, I learned photography on YouTube. If you really care about something, you can find the information so mm. readily and to generate and create something, it's, it's never been a better time. Mm. So 
yeah, it, it's funny that. But yeah, I don't know, man. These skills. But then again, you know, uh, you know, bragging on SolarWorks, you know, it's 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 one of the once again this thing. I've spent so much time honing mm. my skills and and wrestling with it. I hate it. But then there's there's a sick appreciation. Yeah to be able to bend it to your yeah, will. It's, like, <laughs> it's <laughs> so clunky in some ways, but like you, if huh. you really know how to do it, it's you a jack of all trades and maneuver it into whatever you want to do. Like exactly. at the moment I'm learning like, it's jack I'm of learning all like trades, master yeah. sketching and you know, like top down nice. modeling insult work from master sketching. Oh man, but it's like, speak to me Roman. This is my, I still think <laughs> it's really dodgy trying to do it in SolidWorks compared to fusion, like how simple it is. But I don't know. There's, there's some satisfaction yeah. about how clunky it is and getting it to work in that way you want. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and then also, but then you push your skills, and then you go. Well, uh, uh, one of the traps I always see with junior designers, it's one thing. Once again, to connect it back to sketching, we're now in a in an age where junior designers are designing to their capabilities. Mm. You know what I mean by that is, if you say that, please design me a handle for a hairbrush. They would want something beautifully sculpted and ergonomic with class A surfacing, but their capability does not afford them the ability. Mm. to do it you know because they're just going ah oh, it's not right it's really difficult and they waste all their budgeted time trying to create these class a surfaces and everything like that but but that's just the new sketching you know because at the same time uh, uh, you know we're limited by our skills but having said that if you wrestle through it and you push through it and you find good mentors that sort of structure it away and guide mm. you through it that's the better way to do it and then yeah to that point to your camera analogy where you're learning mm. and wrestling with it definitely you SolidWorks is or any three D mm. software. It's it's this 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 weird incredible thing where you I'm I'm a, I'm all all for digi, uh, um what is it like a, a CAD hygiene mm. where I like to keep things very neat very precise. Guys hate it when I put things in folders. You know I got literally told off the other day, but I love it. You know just like keeping everything really concise and making all my sketches robust. That's also mm. craft. You know that's stuff that no one will ever know outside mm. of the industry. But that takes effort. That takes skill. That is the, the, the modern version of being able to hone your own plane mm. and, and sharpen it and tune it and things like that. So there is value in those things. And I think where, you know, it's a disservice to students, they just get lumped with it, say, you need to mm. learn this because you need this to do the mm. work. They're not really told about the, the elegance mm. of it. You know, there's a new way of thinking, the structure, how you do this. Because if you set up this sketch one, right, if you do a very strong parametric sketch, man, you can flood it across all mm. your concepts, you know, by changing a couple of parameters, then you build right and you build cleverly. Yeah. yeah. And then it just, it just streamlines it. And it's just, you're so much more creative because then you can just go boom, 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 boom. Mm. Uh, uh, and we're still working in a digital realm, you know, the, the modern mm. example of sketching. So yeah, there's benefits of that. And hopefully that's the stuff that, you know, uh, uh, being a practicing designer that I can communicate directly to students and say, don't, don't worry about the, the, the annoyances of it. There's mm. value in it. There's, there's benefits if, you are setting out right. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah I, I suppose the biggest thing about education is it's very hard to teach a well-balanced industrial design degree these days. Like, like for example, my job mm. is maybe, um, you know, it's not, we're not, I'm not working in the modern day necessarily with my role at the moment. Like it's more like yeah. the, you know, fundamental, like in industry, industrial design, you know, in manufacturing, um, weldments, you know, sheet yeah. metal fabrication, all that kind of stuff. Um, the thing, pretty much none of what I learned at uni was like preparing me for this job because uni teaches you the, the 2023 industrial design into the future, you know, and like there's definitely a yeah. place for that, but there's also a place like realistically, most students aren't going to go out of uni into a consultancy role. 
Like they're going to go into a more functional yeah. role where they're going to learn those fundamental skills that they can one day take into the consultancy role. So as a as a um, academic, yeah. you know, it must be very hard to teach a balanced education for all those different people. Yeah, yeah, and and once again, I I must you know put a massive preface in the way that I teach because I'm I'm uh, I'm not there full time. It's not my primary um, uh, 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 mm. function, but I, I see the amazing work that the tutors or the head lecturers and the professors do it's a really tough gig because you know it is trying to communicate really dense and esoteric things to a generation mm. of students but for me you know and 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 this is where it's kind of a bit of a cheat for me because i'm just like the fun drunk uncle that comes in and just sort of tells you you know what to do and what not to do and just i'm gone you know but having said that there is a responsibility to communicate you know and and and, and sort of give a balance and hopefully the thing that i try to focus on if i'm looking at balance is trying to give a realistic mm. view of things, you know? It is this thing to say that, yeah, CAD's annoying, but if you do it this way and that, and but then to your point, you know, uh, uh, most kids coming out won't work in consultancy. The lucky few mm. that will, or if they want to, the amount of times I've been asked, should I work in-house or should mm. I work in a consultancy, you know? Um, uh, and, and over the years, uh, I've wrestled with this question, but I can't remember who said it, but the, the best thing that I've ever heard was that, um, uh, 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 and this is part of my teaching as well. It's like, well, there's ways to understand it. There's there's the thing called the three P's, where it's process, product, and mm. problem. So so if you're ever questioning, well, do I work in a startup? Do I work in a consultancy? Or do I work in an in-house team? Think about it as three P's. You know, to work in a, a, a consultancy, you're all about process. You have to stack your process. Uh, to work in-house, then you have to really focus mm. on the product because then, you know, if you work for, say, Breville, then you're mm. product-based, you know, then you are working on blenders or toasters and then you are going to be product-focused. But then there's an alternative where it's like, well, if you work in, there's another one, you can work in a startup, then you're addressing a problem. Mm. So that's the way that I sort of structure it, try to uh, get to students to go, well, don't think about this, it's homogenous mass, you know, there is nuance and there is structure within mm. there. So don't, you know, if you really, really set on consultancy work and, and, and you really love the challenge and the diversity, then you have to be strong in your process. You have to be able to to, to uh, design for prototyping, design for manufacturing, uh, um, concept out, do narration and do narrative processes. But then also, if you really set on working in-house in a big team, then you really have to have a good interpersonal skills, really solid, robust technical skills mm. because they're going to drill you on that or they're going to train you on that. But then also, if you just really want to be a great communicator and just live in the unknown, work in mm -hmm. a startup, you know, and focus on the problem and sort of then wrestle with the problem and bring your expertise as an industrial mm -hmm. designer to go, hey, I'm uncomfortable in this uncertainty, but then, you know, what is the problem morphing into? So, yeah, from that balance point of view, they're the things that I like to sort of try mm -hmm. to communicate. You know, it's definitely not convenient to fit it into a mm. syllabus because it's it's not like now ed talks about this you know and this is what we're going to spend a lecture on sometimes that you just have to find these opportunities where you you can see a student mm. struggling or or, or 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 they're out you know and then we're at a graduation exhibition and you actually get to talk more freely and once again the idx we've opened it up to our students and that's the opportunity to have these more free-flowing less rigid conversations where they get to ask these things that they feel like it could be a silly mm. question you know they could feel like oh it's a stupid question why would it i was like no no silly questions and we're in mm. this environment where we can have a genuine loose honest discussion and they're the things that i hope 
I can bring back into the classroom, but then not have to be so rigid about it. So yeah, that's 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 my ambition to find balance or how to bring some value, fundamentally value how I bring value to the teaching that I do. Yeah. So and and, and students really respond to it. They they they, they really. Uh, from all accounts, appreciate the thing. It may not be what they want to hear, but at least you deliver it in a very mm. honest, unbiased way, you know? So, and I think that always trumps anything. There's, you know, so, yeah. But yeah, teaching is hard. It's, it's you know, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm doing more and more of it. I hope I want to do more of it, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different thing. But then I'm a firm believer in um, uh, that thing where you where you learn something, you repeat something, you teach something, and then you're hopefully on your way to mastering mm-hmm. it. So you know, for me, that's a selfish sort of strategy as well because you know I've learned it, I've repeated it quite a bit. Now hopefully, then if I can communicate it and repeat it to uh, teach it to a student, then somewhat on the on the road that then that reinforces me that I've gone some way into mastering mm-hmm. it myself. So you know, for those people, those negatives, I, my mates, when I told them. You know, oh, um, I'm going to do more teaching. That that common joke is always like, oh, those who can't do teach. You know, you always hear that, and I think that is such a big mm. disservice to all teachers. You know, and it's a common thing, and maybe it's just a throw throwaway line. But yeah, I, I like to challenge anyone. You know, who's mm. ever thought about it, treat it like that. You know, you re- learn, repeat, teach. Teaching faster. isn't for so, everyone as well. I think I you know, it lends us no, towards a certain personality and. You know, maybe not mm. everyone in the professional field would ever be able to be a teacher. That's true. It's, that's it's, true. It, it's a skill in itself. Mm. That is true. That is true. And I think that's where the opportunity, you don't need to be standing in front of a classroom to teach. But then if we use that little ladder frame, you know, the, the learn, repeat, mm. teach, master. But, you know, maybe look for that and foster the next mm. generation when there is an opportunity to talk to a junior designer. You know, don't be a mm. dirtbag. Just freaking, you know, be chill and go, hey, man, like, how's it mm. going? Yeah, we'll try this, you know. This is the thing that I've, I've noticed, and I think that only helps in, once again, this, this overarching ambition is to, you know, uh, uh, um, once we've raised, what, a rising tide raises all boats, you know, that kind of a mentality. And, and, and hopefully, you know, this rounds out this conversation, you know, that ties in my philosophy, what we're trying to do with IDX is this idea that, especially in Australia, uh, I hear a lot speaking to with people. It's it, good and bad, you know, it, but fundamentally everyone thinks Australia is small yeah. and there's not enough potential work yeah. or clients to go around, which is true yeah. to a degree. But then at the same time, instead of looking internally and going, well, you know, there's there's a limited pool of clients, so therefore we're all wrestling against this studio, so therefore we don't talk to them, we don't do this, and that just sort of fractures the community. But inverse of that, you know, the whole ambition of this community connection stuff, it's like, well, if we do a good job in doing those three things that we set out to get collaboration, connection, and education, if we educate 1% of the Australian mm. population, you know, which is like 260,000 mm. people or something like that, if we get them to understand that industrial design is what they need and they actually understand that industrial design is a service and is actually valuable, man, that's just 260,000 more potential mm. clients or exactly. potential work you know where it wasn't being communicated it wasn't being even promoted if we're looking at here's the pie so therefore we all have to fight the pie it was like well why aren't we growing the pie <laughs> and we just need to grow the pie by being better communicators and selling and letting people know wow holy crap industrial designers they can do all these cool stuff you know and they know how to strategize and then have budgets and also do make beautiful things that people want them actually can use. So I think that's also the overarching ambition of not only myself, mm. but also for the community group is just to educate people. Like there is industrial designers and it's cool because of these 
amazing reason. When I spoke to Dan Armstrong on the podcast, one of the things he said really stuck on me. Uh, he was talking about um, how consultancies need to work together for success and how they strengthen each other yeah. working together. Yeah. And his analogy was um, in yeah. Canberra, there's this one road where there's like 20 coffee shops all on one road. And, you know, yeah. you'd think it was a bad yeah. thing because it means that, you know, there'd be too much competition. Yeah. But what they found was actually it meant that everyone was making really good coffee because they were like kind of competing. Yeah. But also when someone wanted to get a coffee, they knew where to go. Everyone went to the street to get coffee because it's the best coffee you're going to get. So nice. it's like it, it's nice. not going to ne nice. necessarily have a negative effect on the industry working together. They actually might improve and, and maybe yeah. maybe it would put design in Australia on the map globally as great design, oh, yeah. well, I mean, more than it already is, and people internationally might be more looking towards Australian design, you know, instead, if we work together. Oh, 100%. And I think that's the ripe opportunity. But once again, look at geographically, you know, we're in a very unique position. We are so close to the Asian manufacturing base of the Western context, and, you know, with all these lineage and history and, 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 and service-based skills and everything. So, yeah, we're, we're in a beautiful position. And, and also, Australia is safe, you know. It, some people may equate safe to boring, you know, which it is true to a degree, but also we're very mm. stable. So therefore, you know, from a, 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 I remember in the pandemic, man, working at the time, there were the amount of so many people coming back, onboarding all the things that they were getting made overseas. You know, that was just a big uh, reassessment going, well, you know, we're operating out of here. What is the stability mm. that we need strategically that serves our business? Australia fulfills that goal. And I think, yeah, there is always going to be opportunity to grow this industry and to sort of promote but yeah i think that that comes back to communication mm. because but what what has been there what has been the narrative you know if we are already stumbling at the hurdle when we say industrial design and people go well what what, what is that yeah. <laughs> we've already failed before we even began mm. so hopefully you know through these community and through speaking to you and, and you know you're doing a great thing about promoting industrial design it's like hey man there's some really talented passionate mm. clever and skilled people that can not only make beautiful objects, that they can solve genuine mm. problems. And I've been lucky enough to transition away where the work that I like doing now is more around big social mm. enterprise problems, like how to solve social issues. But what I mean by social issues, you're never going to solve like homelessness to a degree, you know. Yes, but industrial design can lend genuine empathetic thinking and strategic thinking to a lot of these problems. But to me, from my context, it's like, well, you know, if there's a problem that can be addressed through a physical mean, what is that? Or an artifact mean, you know? And I think there's a lot of those opportunities, you know? But then at the same time, industrial designers I know of have transitioned to be more strategic thinkers and they're CEOs of businesses and companies, but they still use those skills of just empathizing with the person, asking these fundamental questions, balancing it with uh, strategy and balancing it with um, uh, the realities of mat material realities of the world that we're in and then sort of coming up with a, an interesting third outcome and I think that's really cool and, and, and where industrial design is a, 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 an amazing resource that is so underutilized yeah well yeah so so thank you so much for coming on today Ed it's really nice to have someone you know out there to no the promote community around industrial design and you know I, I hope more people in the industry can yeah. kind of you know create their own podcasts or create their own meetup groups and not be deterred by any sort yeah. of um, social credit in the design space, you know, and just, just be proactive. Correct. And that's yeah, how we're going to really create that community and that culture around design. Yeah. Yeah. And also just, you know, just to leave it, you know, once again, please anyone reach out, always love a chat, but yeah, to the idea, I'm all about fostering the next generation and that's hopefully mm. carried through in my teaching, but also, community building but yeah it is idea you know just 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 
reach out and make suggestions and, and foster, you know, and, and, and because you were there once, but then also you, for the juniors, mm. you don't need permission. You don't need uh, mm. someone to say you can do it now. You have so much access to things. So have the ability to craft your own narrative, craft your own mm. uh, path and, and just do it. And then when the opportunity arises, you will be so match fit, so ready, and then you're already doing it anyway. So even if you don't get it, then you're inherently, intrinsically motivated mm. to keep doing it anyway. Well, so, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And I, yeah. I wish you all the best with the future of IDX. And I hope to see you in an event soon. Yeah, yeah thanks, man. Uh, yeah, so reach out, a shout out to anyone else. We're, uh, we'll catch us up on LinkedIn. And yeah, so hopefully we'll have more events coming up. But yeah, thanks. Awesome. To, uh, thank you, man. Have a good one. Enjoy your weekend.